0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds, here for your Murder Mystery World Tour once again. We are in our final week covering Sherlock in Shanghai by Cheng Shao King, translated by Timothy C. Wong. Today, we are talking the last two stories in this collection, At the Ball and One Summer Night. And Sherlock in Shanghai himself, Ho Sang, yeah, is mysteriously
1: absent. I was going to say, why? Why are we looking at this collection of Sherlock in Shanghai when we are neither following the Chinese Sherlock nor in Shanghai? Mm. Um, what is going on there? Do you... <laughs> I'm very confused. I'm very confused by this development. Yeah, uh, Flex. I
0: mean, we've kind of been seeing over the course of this collection. Uh, Huo Sang and Balang disappear, more or less, from the scene. Yeah. The last time they appeared was in the Cat's Eye. Yeah. Which is the last story we covered this week, which is why I kind of split these up so that these last two stories are without Huo Sang and Baolang.
1: Yeah, it's very strange, yeah.
0: There is a note at the end of the book that we're talking about, Ching uh, and Shao King's life, that uh, we're also going to be talking about today. It doesn't really provide any clarification for why... Uh, our two detectives, while well, Sherlock and our Watson, were left out of this section of the book, um, and it's really interesting because neither of them is much of a mystery, no. in any standard sense.
1: And yet, you've still given me something to solve. So that's mm. that's fine. But no, I mean, especially in the, the the ghost story, we we literally have a Chinese ghost story as one of the the seven stories that have been chosen to best represent Cheng Chao King's work. Yeah, um, we we follow a uh, rather the detective. We follow Old Man Wang, the like ancient old storyteller gentleman, saying, "I'm going to tell everybody a story about a ghost who committed suicide." Yeah, and he doesn't get to finish the story, and like it's this whole. Ghost story deconstruction, which I love, by the way. I loved reading through that story, but there isn't really a murder mystery there. There isn't really mm. like a puzzle so much as there is a, a death and a why they died, you know? And some interesting tidbits about gallbladders.
0: Yeah. The, the, <laughs> Kind of curious thing is that we have had footnotes from Timothy Wong through the course of this book that have said, you know, this has appeared in another Ho Sang story. So this isn't even fully representative of the full collection of works on Ho Sang.
1: Yeah, I'd be very curious to actually ask uh, Timothy there why they've actually included these stories in the first place. Mm. I suppose that for, for us on this show, I mean, uh, as as part of this this kind of collection it shows us the broader palette and I mean yeah. we, we should be we should be remiss to mention that uh the South China swallow does seem to kind of star in the at the ball story. So there is some broader contextualization of this character in the kind of the Wosang Baolang South China swallow love triangle. Yeah. Uh, but the final story doesn't have anything to do with anyone. So it's it's very strange. Uh it's more of an a more of an appetizer story than it is anything else.
0: I, I will say, I do believe the reason that we have these stories here at the end, my best guess, mm. is because Cheng Shao King was, by profession, a translator before he went to writing his own stories. He translated the full extent of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's work. Sure. He translated S.S. Van Dyne's work. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, older biggers, a bunch of other people that are mentioned in the tail end of this book. But I think that that would be my best educated guess is that he's trying to channel some of the uh, upper class party stories and ghost stories that we saw with people like Anna Catherine Green that we saw with the upper class uh, trappings of SS Van Dyne. Yeah, for sure. Even though it is not a mystery story as such, it still very much fits into the mystery bubble in terms of what the people he was translating had written during their lifetimes.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, he's just trying to capture the full kind of spectrum of Cheng Chao King's work. Um, so we're not just looking at this very narrow kind of interpretation of, ah oh, yes, here's the Arthur Conan Doyle of of China, which may be accurate, but like we get a broader idea of the kind of stories that they that they like to write and that they are interested in. And I mean, a Chinese ghost story, I don't know if there's anything more kind of classic, at least by reputation. So I, I do appreciate I do appreciate the blending of the supernatural and the real.
0: And admittedly not being super familiar with Chinese fiction in general, and that's hopefully what we can get into over the stories that we're going to be covering later down the line on Death of the Reader. I do think that there is still a very Western feel to this ghost story. It, it obviously still has more standard Chinese mythological elements in terms of the symbolism sure. that is used to portray the ghosts, but the direct hauntings of death I think has either been an influence on the horror stories that I've read from the West or has been influenced by, and I'm, I'm not sure which, or if it's both directions that that has happened, but I still can't, I still get that feeling about it.
1: It's, you know, it's that melting pot of, of East and West. That's always so intriguing to, to tackle. Yeah. Um, much like how he looked at back in Siluri Gentil's All the tears in China, seeing an Australian man going to China and meeting characters from all over the world, and seeing how all those different cultures kind of blend together. It's that same sort of thing, but on a much, like, lower scale, I suppose.
0: I think the other thing that's kind of fun is looking at this work in particular, where Cheng Shao King was a professional translator for many Western works to the East – Uh, Timothy Wong is a translator of many Eastern works to the West.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: there's kind of a a beautiful parallel there in terms of us reading Cheng Shao work when so often he was translating the other things that we've covered on this show.
1: I mean, let's let's get stuck into this, the story that we can talk about in full. Mm-hmm. One Summer Night is what it is. Yes. And it's literally just that this old man Wang, he's a storyteller. He goes from village to village wherever he's needed and wanted to tell stories. And there's kind of a slow setup to this story. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a ghost story to be like, all right, now one, you know, One Summer Night, there was a ghost. Yep. But instead it's, He's invited by this this like young man to come and tell a ghost story. And there's like a, a childish little girl who doesn't care about ghosts, and there's an older girl who only cares about makeup and boys, and there's an old lady who's falling asleep and it's like, what kind of an audience is this? And, (laughs) uh, that's, that's the setup to this story is that we have a storyteller who is not wanted by his audience and he's just about to leave when the actual audience shows up and, uh, cleverly enough, all of these characters that show up are our, uh, our suspects and our, and our murder victim as well. We have little Mal- Big Mao and the, like, Bean Curder or something. I don't remember what his profession is, but all of these characters show up to listen to this ghost story. And despite it only being two paragraphs long, basically scares the pants off everyone. It's this story of this, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very silly. And everyone's like, ah, I can't, I can't listen to this. This is too much for my poor, innocent soul. And he doesn't get to finish the story. And uh, shockingly, the next day, when everybody going home, uh, they find little Mao just dead, and his skin is a strange yellow colour. And so, of course, the bumbling policeman says, Aha! His skin has turned a strange yellow colour. It must be poison. It's the only explanation that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And so we follow this kind of brilliant deconstruction of of bumbling police detectives it's a very kind of kind of fun and i think quite quite interesting blend of the real and the and fantasy just to pick two random terms <laughs> of like reality and fantasy blending them together uh to create a situation where a ghost has killed someone it just isn't like a, a supernatural ghost, right? It's a fictional ghost that killed him. And in fact, the the final kind of resolution of the story is that no one is really punished because it was all just a big misunderstanding, uh, except that old man Wang stops telling ghost stories, which,
0: look,
1: <laughs> I, I would say is a little bit sad. I, I thought he had a good thing going, telling that zombie story, but if he wants to tell stories about, you know, Chinese epic heroes, I see more power to him. It's an interesting
0: one because, you know, Like, what are the consequences of fiction, right? If you're writing a murder mystery story Mm. and you write the near perfect crime and then someone goes, I could pull that off in real life and does it do you then have to stop writing murder mysteries? Is that the question that Cheng Shao King is trying to raise here? The (laughs) ethics of murder mystery fiction?
1: I mean, he definitely touches on it. He's not exactly writing a thesis about it in this story, but it is absolutely an element that he's touching on, that old man Wang essentially is the person responsible for Little Mao's death.
0: Yeah, I think it's also an interesting point that uh, Timothy Wong has made by arranging the collection in this way, because he said that the stories were not in order of when Cheng Shao King wrote them. So he's clearly yes. organized them in another way to help give you a better picture. And I think that One Summer Night gives an excellent footnote to The Shoe, the first story in sure. this collection, where this young man is punished for <laughs> essentially throwing a shoe onto a balcony, harming no one, and being overtly flirtatious. Yeah. Which you know, isn't necessarily a good thing, but he's punished for it. Whereas in this other story, this man has more or less done the same thing and gets off completely scot-free. It's kind of an interesting uh, bookend to the story of these two stories of in punishment for indirect crime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's showing us where Chang Chow King actually draws the line between uh, responsibility and and like cause causation versus you know having having a having a comeback for your your, your sins and your misdeeds. Mm. I do I do appreciate that that Timothy has obviously tried to create this sort of character arc for Chang mm-hmm. as an author. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and we escalate things up and up and up and we kind of peek at uh on the Huangpu mm-hmm. uh and we then to kind of wind things down uh, as we go from story to story, ending with a tale that has nothing to do with what I was saying in the first place.
0: It's weird because it almost feels like Timothy has used the South China Swallow as the catalyst for that progression. Mm-hmm. Because the more often the swallow appears, the uh, the higher the stakes get. Yeah, and then suddenly uh the one time that the the swallow appears without hosang things just diffuse entirely yeah it's almost making a comment on the way that uh the detective and his nemesis is the problem rather than each of them inherently
1: i mean even in uh in the the story at the ball which we'll we'll talk about kind of mostly in the second part of this of this episode but uh, there, There is a detective in that story. It's Kao Yumin. Yes. Uh, who is trying to catch the South China Swallow when he has a vendetta against him. But it doesn't feel nearly as, as earned might be. It might not be the right word, but it doesn't feel nearly as tangible as the uh, the rivalry between Ho Sang.
0: Yeah, it's, it's less of a rivalry and more of just he's out for a collar to make his career look good.
1: Yeah, yeah, potentially, yeah.
0: But yeah, I think let's give a quick introduction to that story and then we will throw over so you can finish reading that before we discuss it in the tail end I know, of I'm today's ready. uh today's episode.
1: Let's let's solve a mystery. So
0: basically, uh Kiao Yo is brought in to try and solve uh a, a little puzzle.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's not really solving it's it's solving something that has yet to happen because exactly. Xu Zhenyang uh, is sent this letter saying, hello, I am the South China Swallow. I hear you're having a party and you're going to show off that emerald necklace and I'm going to nick it. Uh, and so Kiao Yeomin is given the task of preventing that, that, uh, that robbery. I'm going to let you know, when I first looked at this, I thought, well, obviously, Khao Yomin is like the South China Swallow in disguise, but (laughs) I I don't know that that holds water. We'll we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. later. Uh, But yeah, essentially, the the Emerald Necklace has been stolen, and I believe I need to decide upon... who who has the necklace? Is that is that correct?
0: Here's the thing. is Obviously, given the South China Swallow's characterization, mm. we know that they are a Robin Hood type. They steal yeah. from the rich and give to the poor. For sure. So your goal today, Herds, is to figure out if and how the South China Swallow got away with it.
1: Well, uh, I'll let you know. I I don't think it's going to be Kiao men mm-hmm. because he's the one who's in charge of it. And if he's like- Oh, the is gonna turn off the lights, and that's how he's gonna get away with it. If that was a setup, he has failed at that setup because the lights did not go off. And we have uh Chu Sen Yang, I don't think it's him. Um and we also have this gentleman named Tang Dong Mei, who's kind of the bombing mm-hmm. love interest, who like he's like, I'm gonna hook that necklace back on and he drops it and it's like a really awkward like love sequence. Oh yes. I don't think it's him.
0: Yeah, he's he's almost too suspicious.
1: He's he's too obvious. Um, we only have three other characters, and typically in murder mysteries, when you're provided with the who done it, and we only get like three options, it's usually a fourth. We have a fat man, a thin man with a mustache, and a lady like wearing silk. So I think what's going on here, the like fourth option, I think that all three of these characters are going to turn out to be in on it. I think it's gonna be like the South China Swallow and he's like oh my two henchmen. Goodness. That's what I think is going on. The only thing that I could pick up on is that the, uh, the the lady wearing silk is described as, like, not being as mesmerized as the other two. Uh-huh. So I think that they're trying to, like, feign attention. So if I had to pick one, I'd pick her, but honestly, it could be any of them.
0: All right. Well heard. That's that's my thoughts. I think that's that's enough of an answer for me. Let's throw over. We will be back with more discussing Cheng Shao King's Sherlock in Shanghai in just a second, as Herds gets a chance to read through the tail end of this story. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are Flex and Herds. You're listening to Death of the Reader. This is Flex and Herds here. We are discussing the last story we're going to be talking about with Cheng Shao King's Sherlock in Shanghai. Herds. Flex. At the ball, the emerald necklace has been stolen, yeah. allegedly, by the South China <laughs> Swallow. You said it was probably the woman and her two accomplices, the South China Swallow and two henchmen.
1: You know what? It's fine. There were no accomplices. It's fine. I look, who needs accomplices in this day and age? <laughs> I thought- Here's what I was thinking. Is it because- you know, the South China swallows been compared to Robin Hood. I thought we were gonna meet his like Merry Men. I thought that was where this was going. Yeah. And then we're yeah. gonna like play hot potato. I kind
0: of got that impression from your from your Jabber uh, solution.
1: Yeah, I thought that we were gonna play hot potato with the necklace as we were like they were like trying to get it out. But it literally was just that they said, you know, we're gonna search everyone and and get the necklace back and then the detective was like, Oh wait, it's in my pocket. It's all it's totally fine. And he doesn't bother checking to see if it's real before he sends everyone home. It's so weird.
0: Here's the thing, Herds. Yeah. I'm still, uh-huh. to this day, having read The Solution, yeah. suspicious because awkward, bumbling love interest boy, Yeah, Tang Dong Mei, Best boy. Tang Dong Mei. The first thing he says after the crime has taken place uh-huh. is, does that mean you're going to frisk the women too? Huh.
1: As if he knows. And
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure, <laughs> Herds if Tang Dong Mei is merely being chivalrous or if he's in on it and trying to prevent the South China Swallow from being frisked Look, I appreciate, on their way out of the party. I
1: appreciate you're trying to save my good name here, Flex, because I've committed a terrible error by suspecting far too many people in this <laughs> robbery mystery novel. But let's be clear, Tang Dong Mei is, A, apparently worried that he would be suspected. So that's, like, something on his mind. That's why he's so panicky. That sounds
0: like someone who's Um, worried they'd be suspected would say.
1: I know! He is worried they'd be suspected because he's like, I don't want to get thrown out of my own fiancé's ball. And also, I feel like because every other story in this collection has been really, like, well explained by the end and tied up in a little bow. (laughs) I feel like Tang Dong Mei is out of the question. Also as my personal code of conduct I will not suspect the lover I just won't do it won't
0: all right, you know what? You know what, Herds? I back that. I back that. As you know, I will always suspect a little. I
1: know you will. You're awful.
0: And <laughs> even having read the answer there, are still doubts in my mind as to whether Cheng Shaoking was trying to make <laughs> Tang Dongmei an accomplice or not. No. But I will I but... will let you I will let you take that one. The question is, Herds, do you think your solution was worthy of a point considering? I oh. Considering that you did correctly pick who the South China Swallow was, even if it was under dubious circumstances.
1: Look, I don't know if I deserve this point. You you got the final arbitration, but I look, I wouldn't give you the point. I I would be a crude right. person.
0: You can you can you can leave with no points today, Herds. It's
1: okay. I still got one from from last week, so I still consider this book to be an overall absolute win.
0: Now, the thing is, Herds, this story, as you say, has a really straightforward solution. It's <laughs> basically they swap out, it's a fake necklace. The South China Swallow gets away. They Robin Hood it by selling it and giving it to refugees and poor folk out in the countryside. Of course they do. Course they do. And we are alerted to this through a letter. So what is there to talk about
1: this, this story? Well, there is kind of a weird... They do a double swap for some reason. There's some there's some weird stuff going on in terms of the actual details, because what happens is they say, ah, oh, it's a fake necklace. We can let everyone go home. And that's how he gets out, which is very silly. That's an amateur detective move being like, oh, good. Absolutely. We found the thing that was stolen, but it wasn't actually the real thing that was stolen. That's foolish. Um, and so one of his like security guards, Nanshan, uh, Nanshan I believe it is, uh, actually- discovers the South China swallow by noticing his his Adam's Apple in his like disguise yes uh, and they chase him to a hotel and it's all you know we have him surrounded we're gonna take him in but he's just not there mm-hmm. he like escapes out a window despite saying that the place was surrounded but it's okay because the necklace is is the real necklace is in the pile of silk and but that's also a fake <laughs> like mm-hmm. but there's also a letter saying thank you for the necklace so depending on whether they found the fake necklace or the letter first wouldn't that significantly change like his plan like his plan doesn't make a lot of sense is all I'm saying for that phase well
0: the south china swallow has ostensibly by being able to place that letter and the fake necklace been allowed to escape but why so- did he plant
1: another fake necklace why not just leave the letter
0: I, I think herds, my interpretation of the matter was that the South China Swallow had a second fake Why? necklace as in in case they needed it. What? for example. you know, let's say, for example, that they wanted to plant one in someone's pocket and put the fake back around. <laughs> Uh, Yufeng's neck.
1: Why would you need to? But then, some but then you'd have two necklaces, it would be obvious immediately well, that then there's one a of distraction
0: and you have additional time to escape. No, herds, no, that's ridiculous. But they decided that they didn't need it. You don't it.
1: need two fake necklaces because he has a letter, he has a necklace and a letter. Why does he need two fake necklaces and a letter to show the detective that he's better than them? It doesn't, it's, it's unnecessary. Okay,
0: I'm saying the second <laughs> one, the second one was a contingency. <laughs> the letter was the taunt.
1: But <laughs> look, I agree. The letter is the taunt, but like, I don't think in a murder mystery novel, you don't need to write this contingency nonsense because it's supposed to be as all of the other stories have been tied up together quite neatly, sometimes with child murder, but it, you know, dependent on the story. God, God, don't remind so- me. <laughs> They're all tied up very, very neatly, and to have this extra necklace feels strange. I don't know no, why. It I think exists. I think it
0: is completely reasonable. I think it is completely reasonable, uh, and if anything, hurts nah, we need to rubbish. see more contingencies from our murderers. Nah. because so often these murderers are caught up because they make a mistake and have no fallback plan. But that's the fun. All part. I'm saying is that the South China Swallow is both ethical and more talented than any other criminal we have encountered on this This series thus far. This is
1: garbage. This is garbage. The the whole fun of reading a murder mystery novel is that the criminal does, like, hinge their plan on this maniacal, like, Batman's gambit. You know, it's like, throw the dice. They, They have their big plan. That's half the fun. Is it like, this is the big scheme. Does it work or doesn't it? I'm just saying- Why do we need a contingency?
0: Herds, as as we have discussed on this episode, Cheng Xiaoking was a translator who translated to Chinese the works of one SS Van Dyne.
1: This is, you're pulling the Van Dyne card. Here we go.
0: SS Van Dyne has in their rules to solve a criminal problem in the fashion that it is not done by logical deductions, is like sending the reader on a deliberate wild goose chase yes. and then telling them after they have failed you had the object of their search up your sleeve all the time. Uh-huh. Such an author is no better than a practical joker. I believe okay. Cheng Shao King read this rule, uh-huh. or translated this rule, okay. and thought to themselves, I can still satisfy the rule and be a practical joker. What? And that is why there is a necklace left at the crime scene because Cheng Shao King was sticking it to Van Dyne, which, Herds, you have said you are a big fan of doing. So are you now accusing Cheng Shao King of doing something you enjoy the wrong way?
1: Flex, you you say I'm a gatekeeper of murder mystery fiction? Is that where this is going? Yes! I think That's what I'm saying, you, I think herds. you've gone too far, sir. I don't- I think that you are- You have- Look, I accuse these novels of being insane and going off the rails, but you are the true insane-man, sir. You are the one who has finally lost the plot, accusing me of gatekeeping murder mystery fiction and disliking practical jokes made at Van Dyne's expense. Sir, I would never- This is all hogwash. Well, then
0: what have you been doing, Herds? What What? have you been doing? What do you mean? No high-class, self-respecting murderer would want such odds as secret societies in his jousting about with the police. His jousting bout, And we have seen the jousting bout with the police by the leaving of this extra necklace, showing that they not only had extra preparedness than the police were ready for, but also the letter to taunt them. Flex. This is the pinnacle of the jousting. That's dance, not true. Heard. That's
1: not true. When you joust, you jab once and you, you 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 see how it goes. You don't jab once and then also throw a necklace at them. You don't... No, 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 you no, don't no, no,
0: no, no, no. When one jousts, one charges and you have one attempt to strike uh-huh. and then you go to the other end of the pitch yep. and begin again. But that's not and, what that scene the is. South that's quick swallow, jabs. That's quick the jabs. South China swallows no. That's true. quick jabs. The South China Swallow used their one jab and left having defeated the police with their lance still no. ready for the next no. strike, Herds. No. It is the epitome of but the Joust. But
1: he doesn't take the Nicholas with him. He's not ready for the chance at all. He's done. He already won. Well, he does won the knight the go to the victory no. stand
0: still holding <laughs> their lance?
1: What? The- you're, you're insane, Flex. This is not... This is I not may be a insane, Herds,
0: but you are wrong. No,
1: incorrect. <laughs> there is no reason for that second necklace to be there. It is not used. No, it's
0: a perfect element to this It is not story. perfect. And I will hear no, no else. There only I needs to be no one else.
1: fake. There only needs to be- Who is making these two fake necklaces anyway to be exactly the Probably same? Probably
0: the same Who person that made this? one of them.
1: Who is doing this? Why, he- Why did he ask someone to make two fake necklaces? How much is he paying this man? Who are his contacts? South China Swallow, hit me up. Tell me where you're getting these. This is why I heard
0: you'd never make it as a Chinese Robin Hood.
1: I would not. I will freely admit that. You can have that one. You can have Chinese (laughs) Robin Hood title. I'd love I you know, I could be regular Robin Hood, but not not Chinese Robin
0: (laughs) Hood. Before we end off today's show, we do have to make our normal final assessment. Were the mysteries in this collection fair?
1: Yes, I think so. Too fair. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're incredibly straightforward. Uh, f- for someone who has read a lot of murder mystery um, and the cultural aspects that might have confused me were all very well explained at the end of the day, uh, mm-hmm. including the fact that the cold is apparently physically linked with the emotion of fear.
0: The one I wish this story had done more is that it almost stuck too doggedly to Van Dyne's 16th rule that the detective novel should contain no long descriptive passages, no literary dallying with side issues. There's not a lot of... Flavor to the stories aside from the intrinsic Chinese culture that. Underlies it, yeah, and I don't yeah. think that that's a problem. But I think that for something that was as light-hearted and fun as this, it could have had a bit more fun with being a bit sure flashier.
1: Sure, sure, sure. I mean, as we've as we've said in every episode, the the morals that we're left with, the kind of philosophical ideas, are all very straightforward. And yeah. we're saying in most of the stories, says the moral outright. Mm-hmm. But I, I do agree with you there. it could have been a little bit, a little bit, a few more bells and whistles so to speak. Yeah.
0: I think I've mentioned Carol Trapik every episode when we've been discussing this book, as but that is should. because I think he is such a great example of how to do that atmospheric writing in detective stories in a short form. And whilst I think Cheng Xiao King has done an excellent job and Timothy C. Wong has done a fantastic job translating it and arranging it as well, as we've discussed this episode, it is definitely not the, the first collection that I would reach for on my shelf. Sure.
1: It's fine. I mean, it's part of understanding the the broader global culture of of detective fiction and how it's travelled around Absolutely. the world. Much in the same way that we're travelling around the world in this in speaking in of Death which, Reader. let's go travelling. So, <laughs> the next uh, the next story we're going to be tackling is a collection of stories uh, where you're going to be heading over to the the country of Japan because we're in Asia. Might as well get some travel done while we're here. See the sides, see the trebles, yes, yes. see the castles, uh, and we're going to be looking at the early cases of a Keshikagaru. And this is by, and you'll have to give me a moment. Uh, this is by the author Poe, uh, who is known as the uh, the Japanese uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, and is heavily influenced by the works of Edgar Allan Poe. In case you didn't pick up on that, ah. little clever, little clever pen name there. Um, and we will be we'll be chatting about uh, about his works, uh, starting with just for next week, the case of the murder on D Hill. Um, there are three short stories and one longer story in this collection here, but we'll just be tackling the one the one story. We'll read the whole thing, and we'll we'll see how we find it. Um, So, yeah, that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, China and Japan are two cultures unto themselves, but I think it'll be kind of good to do a tour of East Asia and then focus in on specific points once we've done it because, you know, even though much to the chagrin of many people more engaged with Eastern culture, we do kind of conglomerate them here in the West, and it'll be good to get a snapshot that we can then zoom in on. Yeah,
1: I think it'll be really interesting to look at the the specifics of this author because we'll find that in the same ways that Cheng... Chao King has some very straightforward stories uh, Mr. Edogawa Ranpo, uh, he actually incorporates some kind of grotesque uh, themes, I would say into his work, so the stories themselves are going to be I would say M-rated uh, even though we'll, we'll try and keep things kind of PG uh, on the on the show here but there's some very there's some very interesting stuff going on that I'm excited yeah. to dig into.
0: Alright, well thank you for joining us on Death of the Reader as we discussed Cheng Chao King's Sherlock in Shanghai, translated by Timothy C. Wong. We'll see you next week with our next book here on Death of the Reader. We have been Flex and Herds. You're listening to 2SER, and we'll see you then.